0: Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, HypoR genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources.
1: Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Michelle Payne to talk about stress management and food bullying. How are you doing today, Michelle? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. There's a lot of interesting topics that we're going to hit today, but stress management is one that we don't hit on enough, and so I'm thrilled to have you on. If you could just start off by introducing yourself, your background, and how you got involved with animal agriculture and this idea of stress management and this challenge of stress management, that would be awesome.
2: Sure. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm in Southern Michigan, so I was born into animal agriculture. I have virtually no memories in my life without beautiful black and white cows, and I will emphasize that I love the black and white cow kind. (laughs) Um, My degrees are in agriculture communications and animal science from Michigan State University. Go green! For all you Spartans out there, I just have to insert that in there. Uh, And I have worked in dairy genetics, for the National FFA Foundation and started my own business as a professional speaker, author, and strategic consultant 22 years ago. So I have worked to serve the people of agriculture. I had a friend when I was in my mid-20s die by suicide, left a significant impression on me. And over the last handful to 10 years, I have heard more and more disheartening stories about the stress that is clearly so prevalent in our business, and decided that it was time that I needed to do to something about that. So I started um, adding that to my speaking menu, uh, working with organizations and giving workshops on how to better manage stress in agriculture specifically, build mental wellness, and really have some of the different difficult conversations. Uh, and as a part of that, I created a calendar and a growth journal. That uh, provides different tips and ideas and challenge questions for people specifically in our business.
1: Awesome. I'm actually going to be in Lansing here this week, so I'm going to be.
2: You're a lucky man.
1: Oh uh, Yeah. Ha- Hawkeye and, and uh, foreign territory.
2: <laughs> We're nice. Don't <laughs> worry.
1: <laughs> no, it's great. So to start off, I'm doing some rapid fire questions here uh, so everybody can get to know you a little better. First one is what is your go to karaoke song?
2: My go-to Gary, oh, good gracious. I have no idea because I can't remember the names of songs. So I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> what?
1: Uh, what is your favorite actor or actress?
2: You really are nailing me on the pop culture. Um, I <laughs> love Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Cruise was pretty phenomenal in Top Gun and in Maverick. I, yeah, I thought was. that was epic. So those are two i will I'll go with.
1: What's your favorite, candy or chocolate?
2: I love all milk chocolate.
1: And what's your go-to light beer?
2: I don't drink beer, but I am a huge red wine person.
1: There you go. What's your go-to red wine?
2: I particularly love a good Shiraz from Australia.
1: There you go. Well, thank you for for answering those. (laughs) No (laughs) problem. So I'd like to lead into this conversation today by focusing on your journey in understanding the problem and challenges of mental health and stress management in ag. Mm -hmm. And to get to where you are today, there had to be an accumulation of information, of experiences that created a fire, a passion, a element of expertise that allows you to really change and impact people's lives on this topic. Can you talk about the problem and that journey?
2: Sure. The problem is very simple. And when I see people in our business dying by suicide, it raises a deep and moving concern in me. It's not a topic I particularly like to speak or write about, but it's absolutely necessary. So as I had shared, I had a dear friend in California die by suicide very early in my career and that left a huge impact. Her picture is still in my office today. And then as I, I went throughout life, as most of us do, I experienced many things that included um, divorce and caretaking of a loved one with cancer and a variety of um, different episodes with friends. And it, you know, it told me that we just need to do something differently. I am absolutely independent, stubborn, and probably lean more on the side of pull yourself up by the bootstraps than anything else. But I do believe that the stressors that we are facing today, particularly in our young people, um, but really across all generations, that those stressors have changed and the way that we need to talk about them have changed. And I guess the parallel for me is I've worked on advocacy and trying to connect farm and food for more than 20 years now. Those are some really difficult conversations to have around issues like antibiotics and hormones and GMOs with consumers that perhaps don't understand the science or why we do what we do. Likewise, talking about mental wellness is a tough conversation because who really wants to walk up to someone and say, hey, are you doing okay? No, really, are you doing okay? Um, But I have had so much proof that having those difficult conversations can really make a difference.
1: Do you feel as though or have you have you seem to find that the conversation around mental wellness is less prevalent in agriculture than in other sectors? And, And if so, why do you think that might be?
2: I would certainly say that it is. I mean, I'm a farm girl through and through. I grew up on a farm, and even though much of my writing focus is beyond the farm now, um, I still carry those traits with me. So I don't know what life is like outside of agriculture, but this is what I can tell you, is that we rank in the top four. We, being agriculture, rank in the top four of suicides, death by suicide in the U.S. That's unacceptable. Uh, Only 3% of rural communities in the country offer suicide prevention services, uh, services specifically for youth. Suicide rates in rural areas, double that amongst young people in urban areas. As a mom, that's particularly disturbing to me. Um, I'm very thankful my daughter's never struggled with any of the mental wellness issues, but I have seen her peers really question Uh, the meaning of their life and if they want to go on and to me that's that's sad
1: what why do you think we don't talk about it like when you think about being number four i don't hear people talk about the suicide issue that that we face as an industry and you, you think we'd hear more about it with it being number four that's that's wild
2: yeah, and to be clear, we're in the top four because that's changed. I've seen us be as high as number one. Not that that's anything we should oh. be proud of, but um, it, it is a clear, clearly a problem. And not to get into too many statistics, but AFBF did a survey about a year ago that showed 87 percent of farmers have um, expressed that it's important to reduce the stigma. Around mental health and agriculture. Why we don't talk about it, I think, is pretty simple. Um, number one, let's be honest, we all care for our land and our animals. I know most of your listeners probably would rather deal with a pig than a human being. Um, I would prefer to deal with my cattle out in the barn, <laughs> a human on most days, to be honest with you. But here's the deal if we don't care of the take care of the humans. Let me start that over. If we do not take care of the humans of our business in the same capacity in which we take care of the land and our animals, where is that going to leave our business? My uh, assumption, my background has always told me that the reason why mental wellness and agriculture, why suicide and agriculture is such an issue is because so many of us identify who we are by what we do. Mm -hmm. And I understand that my parents lost their farm by bankruptcy, and I was in my 20s, and it nearly destroyed me. Because if that farm that I was raised to believe that was the most important thing in the universe no longer existed, then really what was my purpose? And I've talked with so many suicide survivors, and and those are the, the widows and the widowers of the people who have died by suicide or other family members and they all have said that they were afraid that they just couldn't go on if they couldn't make the farm work and i think that's something really important and when i when i talk with different conferences and whatnot i always try to help them remember that there's so much more than what their work is. They were created as humans first. They were not created as farmers or producers or agribusiness owners or whatever label you want to put on it.
1: That's a really good point. What are, what are a few strategies that, I guess, how, how can people understand or identify if they are maybe mentally unwell or if somebody they're working with might be Unwell, uh, going through challenges. How do how do you become more self aware of yourself and others that you're around so that you can intervene or, or try to help?
2: Sure. Well, I think to get to the first part of the question is to look at what signs of chronic stress are. So there's a difference between stress where perhaps it rained and it was not at the right time for the crops or let's say the uh, temperature control quit working in a barn. That's a stressor. A chronic stressor is when it happens constantly. And over time, uh, it's actually been shown that the cortisol that is a result of the chronic stress can shrink your brain. So some of the signs to look for that you're too stressed out, that you're suffering from chronic stress are things like racing heart, restlessness, not being able to sleep well, Um, having digestive problems, headaches, and so forth. I think most of us, if we were honest and stepped back, we can realize what some of those signs are. Now, when it comes to those that have been unable to manage stress and have a a, a more significant issue where their mental health is at stake, um, where perhaps they are considering damaging Thoughts, that's where we need to step in. So some of those signs are things like having um, a major weight gain or loss, looking at their operation, uh, and it's changed dramatically from being very well kept to uh, being disorganized and sloppy, or conversely, if somebody's always had a perhaps less organized operation and all of a sudden it's neat as a pen and you find them uh, getting rid of things, that's a sign. Um, huh. an- another, go ahead.
1: I was just saying, huh? So, really, if someone's personal or characteristics, attributes, behavior drastically shift, that could be a sign?
2: Absolutely. I'm Maddie Caldwell, I actually just did an article on Ag Daily, and um, I believe that she's shown beef as well as hogs, but livestock producer in Illinois, a young woman. Uh, who has unfortunately attempted suicide two times. Thankfully, she survived. She's an incredible spokesperson. And she shared with me, because I asked her point blank, what what do parents need to look for? And she said radical change in behavior. And her case, that was eating and not going to the dinner table um, because food was very important to their family. It was very important to her individually. She's a foodie. Um, For others, it may be that they decide that they no longer want to spend time in the barn caring for the animals that they have ever loved or always loved. You know, it looks different for everyone, but one of the clearer signs outside of the change in appearance um, and the change in behavior is when people start refusing to go to social events where they isolate themselves Um Uh, Teresa, a farmer up in uh, uh, Minnesota, former president of the Minnesota Soybean Association, actually shared with me that her husband, prior to dying by suicide, had uh, stopped going to all of his meetings, stopped going out with friends, um, would no longer engage in community activities. And it was a pretty clear sign um, that he was uh, quite deeply depressed. So it's just being cognizant enough to look for those signs.
1: What do you do if you identify those signs? Um, yeah,
2: that's a tough one, right? Because who yeah. wants to ask? It, it's interesting because I, in my research, and to be clear, I am not a mental health professional. I have been trying to do this to try to help the people of agriculture. But in my research, which has been fairly extensive now over the last handful of years, uh, Cornell, New York FarmNet actually um, has studies done that says that if you think someone may harm themselves. Ask them, are you going to complete suicide? Are you going to harm yourself? Ask them directly because they may actually be relieved to know that someone else sees out how stressed out they are. I mean, that's a really tough conversation to have, but I can yeah. tell you that I had an elevator manager in one of my audiences tell me that um, he had a conversation late at night with one of his employees on the telephone felt like something was off, went back to the elevator specifically to check on the employee and found him preparing to attempt suicide. And thankfully, he had the wherewithal to go and have that difficult conversation. Less drastic measures are um, things like offering to get them off of the farm, offering to get them away from their business, taking a break, Um, If somebody is in a situation where you are concerned they are going to do something, but you're not, you don't have the relationship where you feel like you can ask them, are you going to complete suicide? Find a loved one, whether it would be a spouse, whether it would be um, a friend, what even if it's an employer or a member of the clergy that knows them well enough that can have that conversation. It is critical to not leave them alone and get them help. And then another tip that um, makes it a little bit easier for people is to have them talk to their doctor. And, you know, it it used to be you could tell your doctor that you had a cold these days. I don't know if you can say that anymore because you might get tested for COVID. But in all seriousness, to go in and talk to your doctor um, because they should know professionals that they can refer you to to help or refer the person to that you are trying to help.
1: So in any industry, when you create a product and you are passionate about that product and someone comes along and they make false claims or competitive claims, even if those claims are true and they're competitive and they're against you, man, does that create a stressor? Man, does that create a riled up sense of emotion? Well, misinformation and ag is in a lot of ways a stressor. And I'm curious... How you believe misinformation and ag contributes to mental health issues in in an agriculture?
2: Well, you said you're a Hawkeye, right? So does your cortisol yeah. inc- increase when you're cheering on the Hawkeyes?
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So I happen to think Tom Izzo wa- works on water. Or excuse me, I happen to believe Tom Izzo walks on water. And you're welcome <laughs> to message me if you disagree with the me and have that debate. But whenever Michigan State's playing, my cortisol rises. Likewise, when somebody starts insulting dairy cattle. Uh, or if somebody starts insulting hogs or agriculture or farming, our cart- cortisol increases. And it is a stressor. I've not seen any studies that uh, show what their consequences are, but I can tell you after a couple of decades of working on the issue and considering the legislation considering the regulations, I mean, hello, gestation stalls. You know, the case study of what happens when we don't spend time proactively working on an issue, that is a stressor that impacts people. And unfortunately, when you've been in this business and you've been constantly questioned and criticized and condemned for the way that you raise hogs or the using GMOs or, or whatever the practice may be, it does wear on a person.
1: So you, you wrote a book called Food Bullying, right? I did. It was my third book. Yep. Can you talk about that book and how is what you've learned and, and what people can gain from that?
2: Sure. Food Bullying released about six months before the pandemic, unfortunately. So <laughs> that that made for some interesting dynamics. Um, But really what motivated me to write the book was because it was very clear that we have a lot of misinformation and disinformation uh, that's out there about agriculture. And as a person who spends a fair amount of time cooking and um, consequently has to purchase food as a part of that, I would get very frustrated going into the grocery store and seeing all of these claims that are, are in there. Um, and as one of my good friends who happens to be a meat scientist likes to say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. (laughs) And the same is true for a food package. You can put all the lipstick you want to on it, but at the end of the day, it's still bacon. And so I wrote food bullying to try to help people overcome, um, some of the manipulation, honestly, that's happening around their brains. And it's fascinating science.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that science and the manipulation?
2: Sure. So uh, Dr. Tyler Davis down at Texas Tech actually did a study that he is a neuroscientist. And again, my background is in animal science, so I am not a neuroscientist. I did a <laughs> lot of studying to understand this and what he You're actually What's that?
1: You're the messenger. Don't kill the messenger.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, but what his research actually shows is he used fMRI imaging, and so that's where there's the pictures of, of the brain of what lights up and how it processes information, and the brain processes information scientifically proven about different modern day pra- farming practices. For example, it looks at GMO and antibiotics as a threat. Yes, sustainability, and believe it or not, animal welfare the brain um, processes and sees as a happy, soothing type of information. That's really oversimplifying the message, but that was one of the major reasons why I wrote food bullying, Um, combined with the fact that all of my research and sitting down with normal human beings who do not farm and are not in agriculture, they're just confused and guilty about food. And that's really sad.
1: Right. There's a big it feels like there's a big shame narrative to consumers and they don't understand why they're shamed and why they should feel shame.
2: Well, you know, we all can point to the fact that only one point five percent of us are on a farmer ranch day that that songbook has been sung from for so many years and we're generations removed. But at the end of the day, we have so much disconnect. And then we combine that with the distrust that's prevalent in our society today. And in the last handful of years, certainly science has not filled that gap particularly well. And bullies really leverage the fear of the unknown. They create confusion, they push the brain to think emotionally. And when you consider how your brain operates, you may think that you're rational and that you're logical. Well, think about the last time you were really, really mad or extremely excited. And it's probably emotions that you remember the most because that's where science shows that our brain goes to. And so the challenge with us is being able to um, overlap or map our stories onto other people's stories who are not like us and build in that trust so that people trust farmers and farming, because right now studies have shown that they do not trust farming. They still trust the people, the farmers. No, isn't that weird? The practice.
1: Like they trust the farmer, but they don't trust what the farmer's producing.
2: Exactly. Well, that's because they don't know the practice. And yeah. we have to take responsibility in this. And I don't want to lecture anyone, but let's face it, we could do a lot better job of talking about our business. I mean, Absolutely. when was the last... Last time you got out and you talked with somebody about what you do on a daily basis. Um it, Many people don't understand what agriculture is, what we do or how we do it or why we do it. And if we could spend more time illustrating the why and the who, we would be so much further ahead and we would reduce our stress as a result of that.
1: So is that how we can, as individuals within agriculture, play a role in, I guess, eliminating food bullying or or how do we fix the problem what are some steps that we can take
2: sure i don't know that we'll ever eliminate food bullying but one of the first things that you can do is find people the least like you and again try to map some of your stories onto their stories and that's just a complicated way of saying have a conversation learn what they are interested in before you ever open your mouth about farming Uh, Get an idea of what excites them, what their hot buttons are. You know, you and I made a connection because we talked um, Iowa and Michigan State immediately. That's an example of a hot button connection. Um, Being able to find those connections with people and have conversations with them and relate to them where they are versus where we are, Uh, because most people do not understand where we are and they're never going to if we can't take the time to have the conversation.
1: That's a really good point. I love how you brought up the Iowa, Michigan State thing, because my my thing has always been like tailgating is one of the greatest opportunities to share what we do, Mm -hmm. because you are actually bringing food for other people. A lot of times you're feeding other people. And when they taste something, it tastes really good. They compliment and then you can kind of give a plug or say, yeah, that's why I really love this or that. And um, people, we all come together around food. We do. And. Mm -hmm and uh, food is such a personal thing and it seems like that's why everybody takes it so so personally is because uh you mess with my food, you mess with my family, you mess with me, <laughs> etc.
2: Yeah, and food should be about celebration, not condemnation. Right. Yep, absolutely. I, I do have to tell you as a a big ten woman my daughter now goes to the University of Georgia and runs for them. So I have all sorts of exposure oh, no. to an entirely <laughs> different level of tailgating. <laughs> they're they're a little crazy down south. That's all I'm gonna say. And I mean no insult to any listener.
1: <laughs> I've heard. I've heard it's 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 another another world down there. I went to an NC state game and I don't think I saw anybody without a polo. And so like just like the southern <laughs> the southern dress for a game too from university were yes. so different.
2: Yes, it is quite different for sure.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about, talk about these. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share around misinformation of the food system, of stress management and mental well-being?
2: I just want to encourage uh, your listeners to normalize the conversation, whether it's about mental well-being or whether it's about how food is produced. And normalizing the conversation means helping feel other others feel okay about where they are at. Um, the reality is, is we're in a very tough business, and we need to do a lot more to share the human side of agriculture, the fact that we do have human beings that are struggling. You know, if we had as many broken arms as we do broken brains, there would be a major uh, problem because that would be so obvious. But at this point, clearly, we're not addressing the problem at hand. And likewise, take the time to have the tough conversations with people that are very different than you so that you can farm um, and produce food and be a part of agriculture the best way that you know how rather than having it regulated for you
1: you had mentioned that you go out and you professionally speak about these concepts and you work with other uh, organizations, can you, I guess, let listeners know how they can get in touch with you or where they can go to get more information if they want to learn more about you, read some of your books, etc.?
2: Sure. I would love to connect with you. My website is causematters.com. My handle across social media is Speaker, so M-P-A-Y-N-S-P-E-A-K-E-R, um, you can find Cause Matters on Facebook as well. If you Google me, you can probably find all sorts of information. Um, just don't call me Michael, please, because it's Michelle with one L. And my last name is not spelled P-A-I-N. It's P-A-Y-N. But I would truly would love to connect with your listeners. So before we wrap things up, I have
1: two more questions. The first one is, what is something unique about you that most people in ag may not know?
2: I love to drive a Bobcat. Oh, Really? Not really. (laughs) I don't say that very often because people think I'm talking about the animal. Apparently I've had. (laughs) And I'm like, no, really the machine. I really enjoy moving dirt or manure or snow or whatever. in a Bobcat.
1: It's a grown adult in the big sandbox.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) What is a golden nugget you you can leave with listeners? A bit of life wisdom that you've picked up along the way.
2: Uh, Do the right thing for the big picture. And always make it be about the big picture, whether it's your family or for agriculture, because that's a whole lot more valuable than any self-gratification.
1: Well, thank you, Michelle, for being a guest on the Popular Pig podcast. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig.